0: Welcome to the Elevate Your Running Podcast with Sarah Manderscheid and Austin Myers. We are here to talk about all things running in life to elevate you, not only in training, but also in your personal journey and relationships. We believe in lifting others high and supporting you, not just in training, but how to help you maximize the life you want to live. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to stay up to date on all future episodes and leave a review through the platform in which you are listening. Your support helps us to continue to build a community of like-minded people who strive to elevate their body, mind, and spirit through running. We hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome back to the Elevate Your Running podcast. We're so excited to be with you today, and we hope that this episode is going to provide you with so much value for your running and for your life because we know that running is such a big part of our lives. I'm here with my co-host, Sarah Manderscheid, and I am Austin Myers. We're going to get this episode started the same way that we do every single episode, and that is with our Elevated Moments Sarah, how are you today? And would you like to share your elevated moment for our audience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Austin, it's so good to see you and um, be with you here recording. Um, Happy Tuesday. It's a great day or whatever day you're listening to this episode. Um, I uh, definitely have an elevated moment to share and it definitely involves running. Um, So last week um, was my third week in the training block. I'm in recovery week this week. And, um, I not only was able to hit like such a great training load, like mileage wise, I hit my highest mileage ever. Um, which in a week, which felt amazing. And my legs felt great. Um, but I also had a really, really good long run on Saturday. I had 22 miles, 18 miles at steady state effort. And, um, you know, those runs when you, get started and you just feel like so good. <laughs> that was Saturday. I'm like, "Oh wow, my legs haven't felt this good in a while." And you know, as you get in or as I got into like the steady state flow, which was after a 2-mile warm up, I was like, "All right, this feels really good." You know, halfway through, I was like, "This still is feeling really good." And I actually, you know, started running a little bit faster than steady state because I was just running based on effort and I'd see the the split kind of come through at every mile. Um, so it felt really, really, really good. I got very close to gold pace a few times, which felt great. I felt incredible. I mean, the last few miles felt a little bit harder, like maybe a six on the RPE scale, but like, I just felt so good. And if that's like any indication of how Chicago is going to go, which I really, really hope I'm crossing my fingers, like it's going to be a really great day. So I know those runs are few and far between. Um, but it does feel really good when it happens. I had a workout earlier that week. That was just average. It was just, okay. I had mile repeats and it was tough and, um, and got it done, but this was such a huge, huge win. Um, you know, I had COVID like a month ago and <laughs> getting back into that endurance running was probably the hardest part for me. I think my first um, tempo effort, it was like a 10K tempo, And my heart rate just shot up like in the first mile going like 745 pace, which isn't that fast. It's not my marathon pace. It's slower than my marathon pace. So I thought, oh, like if this is happening in the first mile, this isn't good. And I hope this like calms down before the race. But I'm very, very happy to say like the tempo, the endurance is there, which feels really, really good. And Um, and that just feels really good. So it's definitely a highlight and my elevated moment of the week. Um, and it also feels good to be in recovery mode.
1: Yeah, that is really great to hear that you had such a successful run, um, especially heading into a taper week. That's, that's really big. And I think that that's something you can definitely build on as you come out of your taper week and getting close to the peak point of your training for the Chicago marathon. Uh, We're getting close to September now, and that's an exciting time for anyone who is training for races and has something set on their calendar before the end of 2022, like we both do. Uh, It's just a great time of the year to run. Hopefully the climate that you're in is going to cool down a little bit over the coming weeks, uh, which is kind of a funny thing for me to say as I lead into my elevated moment, which is (laughs) that I am all settled in Texas. Uh, a climate where it might not cool down in the next eight or so weeks, but that's okay because we can get some positive training stimulus out of that. But I am uh, settled in Texas, as we mentioned on a recent episode of the podcast. Um, Abby and I, my girlfriend and I moved here for a job opportunity that I've been working for the past two and a half weeks. It's been a really great start to my time um, at the company and and just starting to feel a lot better in the area. And then as far as my training goes, I think this is an important thing to stress that I'm training for the New York City Marathon. And every morning I wake up and I get my training run in. Uh, But this is probably the most balance that I've had between my marathon training, this being my third marathon training block, and other areas of my life. And that's definitely an area of growth for me. And a point of learning where when I'm training, I'm training. And when I'm not, I've got to shift the focus and I've got to perform in other areas of my life. But, um, you know, it's it's an awesome opportunity for me to, to grow over these next few months as we build towards the New York City Marathon on November 6th. But for now, everything in Texas is going pretty well.
0: That's awesome to hear. I'm running a 10k in Houston about five weeks after Chicago it's a week after New York City and I hear from all of my Texan athletes that you know it could still be warm in November so (laughs) who knows all we really know is that it's going to be cool in January right for the Houston uh, marathon and half marathon weekend
1: absolutely I'm I'm enjoying it it's uh it's a nice change of pace It's just different, like you wake up in the mornings and it's like 80 degrees outside and humid and by the end of your run, you are just drenched in sweat, but it is a great way to start the day, especially for an easy run. I will say workouts are a little bit harder to push through when it's that warm, Um, but those easy runs feel really good in those warmer temperatures, at least for now. We'll see how long they last, but as we transition into our topic of the day, we want to discuss running traps, and things that may slow you down as you're training for a key race, things to watch out for, and things to make sure that you're not falling into as a result of maybe what you're seeing other people do. A lot of these things that we'll discuss um, are simply things that may work for somebody and may not work for you. And then others may be things that we feel are pretty universal in the running space. And that first one that we'll talk about is running someone else's race or running someone else's training block. Now, this to me would be a universal one. Nobody, no matter how good of an athlete you are, should be running exactly to a T someone else's race strategy or someone else's training strategy and um, build towards a goal race. We are all extremely... Unique, not only as athletes, but as people and the lives that we live. And that is why it's so important to be able to diversify your training in a way that fits your lifestyle. And I think is a really big reason why a lot of people, when they start working with a coach, a good coach for the first time, they see really big gains almost immediately, or at least in that first race or two that they build towards with that coach, is because. If you are a coach who is truly helping your athletes, you are helping them and you're meeting them where they're at, both lifestyle factors and fitness factors. And so when we start working with a coach or maybe we just become much better at being in tune with who we are as an athlete, it allows you to meet yourself where you're at and train in a way that fits your lifestyle. And when you can do that, that's when you really start to see the progress because your body is ready for the workouts. You're hitting the paces that you should be hitting. You're not running far too many miles and you're not running far too fast, which is probably the easiest traps to fall into when we're looking at other people and their training and their racing. We want to be where they're at, but we didn't see the steps that it took for them to get there. We didn't see the ways that they adapted their training and their lifestyle to meet the goals that you're currently seeing them achieve. So I think this is a really important first point. And Sarah, I'll let you kind of elaborate a little bit more is that we should not be running someone else's race. We should not be running or training someone else's build up towards a race. And it's so important to understand that we are unique as athletes and as people.
0: It's so true. and I was shaking my head through that entire like introduction to this point because it's so true. and I loved Austin when you said a good coach. there's so many running coaches out there and they all have their own strengths and value. and yet when it comes down to it, the biggest I would say the biggest part of my job initially up front, and as I get to know the athlete, arguably throughout our entire relationship together, but it's figuring out how to pull out that athlete's potential and everyone is so different, right? Like I have athletes who are running the same race and some of them are friends. Some of them, you know, collaborate or know each other or support each other through social media and like no one's really running the same thing. You know, <laughs> like every week is a little bit different for um, my athletes running Twin Cities. Um, I have athletes running Portland. I have athletes running Indy, CIM, um, Houston in January. And it really depends on where the athlete is, what their goals are, and where they currently, you know, stand with how many miles they can run, how many days a week they're planning to run, what is kind of their um, their schedule right now, and how can we elevate their training to best fit everything else going on in life. But it's I've seen coaches so many times give the exact same training plan to everyone. And if you sign up for that, great. But if you think you're getting a personalized plan and you're getting the same training plan as everyone else that that coach is managing, like that's not really you know, the right thing to do. Right. Um, so you get to definitely, 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 if you're looking for a personalized plan, like find a coach who is going to personalize that for you and lift you high and pull out your strength. I think it's also, like you said, Austin, it's so crucial to like, not compare yourself with that person who is on the team that might be running the same race as you or your neighbor or the person on social media. Like I finally last week hit 73 miles, I am elated. Like I have wanted this. Well, definitely since last summer when I like touched 68 miles and like for one week, I've wanted this for so long, but I have been running for 15 years. Like if you would have said, even in my first training block for CIM, which I think I hit 60. And that was like, so big for me, I was like, mind blown. Um, And I was also exhausted. (laughs) Like, if I was gonna run 70, you know, my last block was 63, 70, 73, I'm going up to like 75, 76 next week, like, I would have never I don't know, it's like, you can't really, I wasn't ready for it then. And if people are just introduced to me on social media, or they're just seeing other runners who are running doubles and running in the seventies, or maybe it's the sixties or the fifties, cause you're running in the twenties or the thirties, like know that they didn't just jump into that, that this is like, it just takes so much time to like, get your body kind of used to this new training stimulus and a new cycle perform on race day you get to pull back, recover, go into your next training cycle, and then maybe like stress your body in a new way by adding a little bit more intensity or a few more miles each week. And just find that balance of what you can do as an athlete. Some people can run their A goal race on 40, 50, 60 miles a week. I think what my coach and I are learning is one, I love miles. Two, my body is handling them well, which I already knew and was advocating for for a very long time. And like, it might be what I need to be able to get under that 310 mark that I'm, you know, looking to do. So, um, so everyone has different goals. Everyone has a different um, way to get there. Last week, I was able to go to an event that talked about female performance and Sarah Vaughn and Emma Bates were there along with a few other elite um, female athletes. And it was so great to have them there. And, you know, I think it was Sarah Vaughn that said like, there are a thousand different uh, journeys to get to the same destination, right? If you're looking to finish your first marathon, or if you're looking to run, you know, a sub four hour or a sub three hour marathon, know that if your neighbor, um, other athlete on the team, um, like training partner, Um, someone on social media, if they're going after that same goal, your plan should look different because you're totally different. You're a totally different human being. Your stress levels are going to be different. Your burnout rate is different. Your injury rate is different. Like it all kind of depends on you and how you respond to training. So um, definitely look inward and figure out how to set yourself up for success with how many days you can commit to how many miles you really want to run. That's always something I ask athletes, like how many miles, like realistically or optimistically, like if you could say, how many miles do you really want to run in this training block? And we'll see if we can get you there if it's realistic, but just kind of go inward and know that you are doing enough. And at the end of the day, if you're running happy and you have joy in your heart and You're getting those running endorphins every now and again. You're doing a great job.
1: Yeah, when you were talking about that, you sparked so many ideas on my side. The first one is prioritize what you want the most. Because if you're coming into a training block and you're saying, I want to run 50 miles per week for the majority of this training block, but you are not realistically at a point in your training life where you should be running 50 miles per week, there's a high chance that you are going to hurt yourself physically, or you're going to burn out very quickly mentally. And Mm -hmm. you need to identify, do you want to run 50 miles per week? Or do you want to get to race day and be the best version of yourself and feel healthy? Because a lot of times when we push for a specific amount of miles, or these process goals that we think are the most important things in our running lives. Really, that's not the case. You have to prioritize what you want the most to know what you need the most. And in a lot of situations, what you need the most is a very gradual increase in mileage. So let's say you're starting a training cycle and you're at 25 or 30 miles per week. You should not be making a jump to 50 miles a week. If you're going to get to 50 miles per week, It has to be a gradual increase over the course of time. Honestly, a lot of times what we need is the most boring option. That's just the reality of it. And this is kind of the second thought that I had to pair with that is that it's really easy to see someone running 70, 80, 90 miles per week or running certain paces and and achieving big goals in their races and thinking, that's what I want. I want to run doubles and I want to push here and push there and then you get out there on your run and you realize this is actually really hard. And <laughs> is this actually what yeah. I want? And you have to come to terms with maybe I'm pushing I'm trying to flip too many switches at once. I think it's important to be able like if you yeah. if you try to imagine this, so you, you have a light switch which just flips up and down on and off, or you have one of the, uh, dimming light switches where you, I don't know if this is kind of old school. I think you press it in. So that turns the light on, but then you turn it to the right to turn the brightness up and you turn it to the left to dim the lights and set the mood, I guess. And, um, (laughs) what we really need to do is we don't need to just immediately flip the switch from 30 miles per week to 70 miles per week we need to turn the light on which basically means we are getting out there and we are running hopefully for everybody who is not just getting into running hopefully that that flip that switch is already on like you are already doing some sort of running even if you're not training for a specific goal but what we need to do and what a good coach will do for you is they will slowly over time over the course of those 12 16 20 weeks that you're training for a race They will slowly turn that knob and the light will be brighter and brighter as you get closer to that race so that when you have race day, that light is at its brightest point for your capacity, not the Mm -hmm. brightest point that someone else may have for their race. Now, as you progress and you continue to build for more and more races over your training career, maybe you'll progress from like a really crappy light to an LED And then it'll be like the brightest light in like five years. But you have to understand that it has to be a gradual increase because if you think you want to be at that really high point of training and you try to jump to that point, you're going to realize that you don't want that yet. Maybe you want to get there eventually, but you have to go through all of the steps to get to that point so that your body and mind are ready for what it requires because it's not an easy thing to do. So that is number one. Uh, as far as our running traps. And that's really one of the easiest ones to fall into because comparison really is the thief of joy and comparison can take away from your unique running journey. And the second one is pretty similar to that. And it's that you run more than what's on your plan. So we can look at this in two ways. Number one, you are working with a coach. Your coach programs... To meet you where you're at and to allow for progression over the course of the training cycle. If you get out there and you're running more mileage than they're prescribing, or you're running faster paces and you're not taking your easy runs easy, you are not doing that coach or you're not, yeah, I mean, you're not basically giving that coach what they provided you. And and that's a, a tailored plan to your skill level, which is essentially what you're paying that coach for so if you want the benefit from working with a coach you need to hit the mileage even if somewhere in your in your mind and it's probably your ego that's saying you need to run more you want to run more but what you quickly find is you should have never run more because it had to be a progressive build sarah what do you see as far as athletes running more than what you prescribe as a coach (laughs)
0: E <laughs> This is such a touchy topic with me. Um it's tough, right? Like I've definitely seen this with athletes and you know, they might be running 5, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes more, but if you're talking six runs and they're doing it for all six runs or five runs or maybe on their rest day, they're hiking a 14er in Colorado or hiking, you know, somewhere in Boulder or whatever and all this extra time on feet, usually it ends up in burnout or injury. And it's usually the latter, unfortunately, like your body just can't sustain increased mileage or increased intensity too fast. Um, And that's something that I think a lot of runners and a lot of athletes need to learn themselves to some extent. I've definitely been there um i had to go through like two pretty big like things that took me out for 6 months each um for me to realize that like i really need to slow my roll and like sometimes less is more right um meeting yourself where you're at so you get to sometimes run less to be able to do more in training and what's someone that, um, someone once told me, or I think this was last year during my Boston training, I think it was actually during my 68 mile week. And I was like, so ready for more, but I think I was going into recovery week. It was kind of my peak in training and it was actually Jonathan Lovett. And we were running and Jonathan was on the podcast maybe a month or so ago, four or five episodes ago. And he said, don't be greedy with your training. And I thought, that's so interesting and so spot on too. And I would argue like, you know, we can all kind of say that, um, for training this summer, if you're training for a fall marathon, um, and definitely where I am right now with training for Chicago, but like when the going's good, don't get too greedy. Cause it's usually that extra double or that extra intensity or that extra stride or 10 or, that extra pickup that you're doing, that you're really, you know, it's not in the plan where, you know, you kind of fall short and you might, you know, get injured or just start to like, maybe not, maybe start missing runs because the burnout is there because your body's not recovering. Right. That's what it's all about. When you're starting to run way more than what's on your plan as prescribed by a coach you are doing yourself a disservice because they have your best interests at heart. They know exactly or not exactly, but they do know how to get you to your destination. And part of choosing a coach I I know is trusting in them and believing in them. And if you don't have that, it's most likely time to just, you know, move on, (laughs) like pick a different coach or maybe not use a coach and, you know, do something else
1: yeah you know this is my my third training block for a marathon. And the first training block, I didn't have a coach, and I followed essentially a fixed plan, and this will kind of transition to the next um, running trap that we want to discuss. But I was following a fixed plan. And I knew coming into this training block, this was for my first marathon, that if I followed the plan essentially to at, that it would have me ready to run 26.2 miles. And that was really the only goal. Um, the time goal wasn't as important for me just because I was excited to run my first marathon. And then the second training cycle, I worked with you, Sarah, through Elevate Your Running. And it was definitely a mindset shift for me where I knew I wanted to run faster than I did that first marathon. And I really wanted to push as as hard as I could to run Um you know, to my upper ability level for that race. And we did. And there's an important point to be made there because when you're following a fixed plan, you learn about yourself because you see where your body needs to adapt as you're working through the weeks of training. I remember in that first training cycle, I auto-regulated a few deload Weeks. And if you don't know what auto regulation means, essentially (laughs) it just means that I knew my body needed a little bit of a recovery. So I cut back mileage, I cut back intensity. Now, I will be honest did I do it effectively? Did I do it well? No, but I told myself I was taking a deload week and I recognized how my body felt. And I think that's a really valuable place for athletes, especially newer runners, to be. Like if you're training for your first marathon and you're not sure if you want to commit to a coach, and you just want to follow a structured plan to help you get there, because there's a lot of free plans out there, you can certainly do that. But make it a priority throughout those weeks of training to learn about yourself as an athlete. Because what that allowed me to do as I moved into my next training block with you, Sarah, was that it allowed me to, number one, understand how my body felt throughout training, to know what felt good, to know what maybe didn't feel right, And because of that, I was able to advocate for myself in a knowledgeable way as an athlete. Now, it is not knowledgeable to advocate for more miles because you want to run more miles, but it is knowledgeable to advocate for maybe hitting certain long runs, or maybe you want to feel certain paces because in the past, you know, it's made you feel good. But that takes a lot of thought and consideration and time where you're looking at it beyond simply what you want in the moment, you're actually looking at what you did in the moment and how it then made you feel after the fact. And Sarah, you were mentioning like don't get greedy. I heard something one time, I don't remember exactly how it was said, but it was essentially if you're having a good day, stop. And yeah. that's that's like, you know, being a little bit uh serious and and rash, but Essentially, the concept is on those good days, you just want to run forever, but that's not what your body needs. Your body's having a good day and your mind's having a good day because of the training that had been happening in the days and potentially weeks prior. And hopefully for you, if you're working with a coach, is that you were following the training plan. The coach got you to that point where you're now feeling good. So don't sabotage The fact that you're feeling good just to continue running mileage, hit your goal for the day and move on. It's a brick by brick approach. We can't build the entire house in one day. And I think that's the really easy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: thing to think that we want to do in the moment.
0: Or in one training cycle, right? Like I think a lot of athletes want to do everything in that four month window. And it's like, well, no, let's kind of like drill down into like one or two things that we should focus on. Once you get that, you know, really like in tune and you're ready to roll, like maybe we wait until the next training cycle to build on something else. What I love Austin about our relationship when we were coach athlete is we had an initial conversation at the start of the process, right? Where we had that conversation of like, what are your favorite workouts? What do you like to do? What do you don't like to do? Like, what kind of mileage are you looking for? And I specifically remember like it was probably one of your last long runs and it might've been like a 21, 22. Cause you got up there too. And we reworked the goal pace because you're like, I really want to tackle like 10 miles of goal marathon pace at the end of the run versus like breaking it up two by six with stopping or something in between. Um, so that's what we did. And I would argue it's still a super effective workout. the The first and the second one. We still got you a seventeen minute PR. It was a huge day for you in Buffalo. And you're totally right. Like on Saturday, I was running,, um, you know, I got to twenty two and like I was tired. I could have ran an entire marathon that day. Like I just felt so good. Um but that's not what we do, right? We stop and we recover hard. And then we're ready to go the next day. Today's run, um, so a few days later, was actually, I think, maybe the hardest uh, recovery run (laughs) in a while.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of times the, the most challenging days follow the greatest days. And we can kind of end this running trap on this point that just because you can does not mean that you should. That is true in so many facets of our life especially running. So keep that in mind. Just, just because you can does not mean you should. Now, transitioning, I was discussing how for my first marathon buildup, I trained off of a really um, you know, straightforward plan. And I knew coming into it that I was probably going to adapt it as the weeks went on to best fit my needs. This is actually the time that you and I met, Sarah. And You know, I I immediately started adapting this plan. I started training for the marathon um, late July. And Sarah, I believe we met probably like the third week of August. And I began adapting my plan because I was joining URL's long run group. And many of the people who were in that long run group were training for a marathon that was before mine. So this was the year that the Boston Marathon was in October. We had some people who I believe were training for Chicago and I was training for Indianapolis, which was in November. So in many cases, it was like two, three, maybe even four weeks after the other people who were training for a marathon. So what that meant was if you all were running 16 miles or 18 miles, I maybe didn't have that on my plan yet because I wasn't in that proximity to my race day. But because I was in the environment, because I felt like I was set up for success in other areas of my life, I ran those miles with you all. I was willing to be adaptable and to make the changes that I felt like best suited my needs and what I wanted out of my training at that point in my life. Now, that's an example where I basically upped the mileage. Maybe in some cases, I upped the intensity. But earlier, I did mention I took some deloads that I didn't originally have planned in there, right? because I recognized, I remember actually recognizing one time, Sarah, I ran a goal pace uh, <laughs> run with you. and I'm so ran, glad we're talking about this. <laughs> what was the what was the um, workout? Two by five?
0: Okay, it was two by five and it was a 16 mile long run. Um, and it's by far one of those like long runs I think I'm gonna I'm gonna remember for a really long time. Like we were out at the Boulder res. I think it was our second time meeting ever.
1: Yeah. The,
0: the team had um, easy pace. So they were running loops around the Boulder Res. And you're right. We had Boston, Chicago, Boulder-Thon all on the same weekend, which fell on like that second weekend in October. And Andy was four weeks later. So we were all kind of ahead of the training cycle or training. Um, yeah, training cycle than you. But like you came with me on the goal pace run, yeah, and we had you adapted to the pace that you needed to run at the time. I was faster than you. That is not the case anymore, <laughs> and um, and we had a lot of fun out there. And it was, you know, it was great to have companionship and having someone out there. You know, I think we stuck together for that first five mile chunk. First five. Yeah, the first five, and then the second five, I felt really good and kind of took off. probably a little too fast Uh, yeah and that's um,
1: a that's a memory that i have because i remember going into that and i I told myself you know you're going to push yourself really hard today and your goal is just to basically really my goal going into that sarah was to provide you with what you needed because i remember you were asking basically if anyone wants to run this workout with me you can And I just felt like maybe you wanted someone to pace with you for at least that first set so you could find your rhythm. That's exactly what (laughs) ended up happening. Because sometimes that's what we need and and what we want as athletes. A lot of really successful athletes have great teams that they train with and other great athletes that they train with. And I remember going into that thinking, all right, this is going to be a really hard workout. And I was really excited for it. And I remember, you know, after the workout, I was really proud of of how I performed. But I also remember that going into that next week, I felt it. I was tired um, and, and the miles just weren't coming as easily as they were the previous few weeks. So that was one of those weeks where I said, all right, on my plan, I don't have a deload this week. However, on my plan, I also didn't have that workout yesterday. So now I'm starting to get intuitive with myself as an athlete and I'm saying I pushed really hard now I'm going to pull back and then we're going to turn the light switch back up and when we start to feel better we're going to use that recovery that we had already put in so just understanding what your body needs is a really big part of it the the plan is not as strong as either the coach's ability to adapt the plan to the athlete or the athlete's ability to understand what they need
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Austin. Like the athlete really gets to tune into their body too, right? Like, especially when I'm, uh, if you have a virtual coach, some of my athletes, I get the pleasure of seeing every single week, sometimes twice a week, which is great. Um, But some of my virtual athletes, you know, it can be tough to some extent. Like I'm always asking, how are you feeling? How's your body feeling? Every Elevate athlete gets to fill out a weekly check-in form that also includes like, how are you feeling? Do you have any niggles? How are your legs? Like, let's evaluate this um, because it's such a big piece to it, right? But you also get to advocate for yourself or know your body and know what's like stress from training and what's like extra stress. Like, do you have like a shin splint forming? You know, are you feeling niggles in your ankle? Are you feeling niggles um, in your IT band, in your knee? Things like that. Like, and, you know, asking, or just giving yourself an extra rest day. I'm a big, big, big believer in like, you get to take a few extra rest days if you feel something come up rather than trying to run through it because usually that's when the big injuries um, happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, just understand what you really want and understand that there is a cost um, if you overrun or kind of run yourself into the ground, I guess you could say, There's a cost to it. And the frustration that comes with it, because Sarah, I know you and I have been in that position, the frustration that comes with it is much worse than the feeling that you'll have when you actually just meet the needs of your plan. Like just begin to find satisfaction in the fact that you are going to achieve the goal for that day, whatever that means. And in a lot of situations, athletes want to overrun either by pace or by mileage, they're easy runs. But when you start to see the pattern that you feel amazing as a byproduct of running those easy runs to standard, to the standard that you should be running it, that's when you really start to fall in love with those easy runs days because they make you feel better, they make you a better athlete, and they allow you to be prepared for those days where you do have to turn that dial up and you have to perform at a higher level. So I'm really glad that you mentioned just getting in tune with your body. It's something that you learn over time. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to acquire that knowledge in your first training cycle. And honestly, Sarah, you and I are pretty experienced at this point in this marathon training and racing game. We're still learning about our bodies because our bodies adapt over time as we continue to run throughout our careers.
0: Absolutely. Like, I just want to quickly mention this summer, I decided to take my easy runs even easier. I I've heard all these people say you run a little bit easier, you're gonna have a breakthrough marathon. And I'm like, all right, I wanna do anything I can do to get a breakthrough marathon. So I've been taking, you know, my easy runs anywhere between 920, 940. And I know last summer I was running anywhere between 850 and 910. And like I am seeing it and I am feeling it. And yes, there are different things happening in this training cycle than in previous training cycles, but like I've had three long runs now, 2020 and 22, where I have felt incredible. Like the first one, not for the first half, I was just coming back from COVID. So it could have been that could have been a lot of different things. Who knows? But the end of that one felt really great. The, tw- the second 20 felt great. The 22 felt phenomenal. And like, I have to think that a lot of it is going, you know, one, I have a great coach, but two, like, I'm also taking my easy days easy, like, really easy, like where I am jogging. And I was actually last week doing a double, talking to an athlete on the phone, because so that's basically my life right now. And they didn't even know I was running. So like, I thought that was pretty cool. And that's also like what we get to do to show up to really take the easy days easy. I think that's like the hardest thing to grasp. And it's also the hardest thing to kind of figure out what easy really is, because I think a lot of us think we are running easy and we're totally not like, um, and you know, my heart rate showing that my heart rate, even in the long run with the steady state flow, you know, really didn't get over. I think I hit 158 for one mile, which was a little bit on the higher side. But for for 22 miles, that felt really good. That I was staying. My average was 150, um, and it's such a big win. So really, really focus on slowing your roll. And if your training is set up the right way, you really should want to take those easy days easy because right now, running as much as I am, like I don't want to be running my easy days any faster. Like I'll take 9:30 pace.
1: Yeah, a lot of us want to prove, I think, in a competitive way that we're great athletes. Really, mm-hmm. what we should be trying to prove is that we're smart athletes, because when you're smart and you do the things that you really need to be doing, the, the principles are pretty much there as far as the blueprint to get faster over time and running your easy runs easy is a part of that blueprint. And if you're a smart athlete and you're willing to buy into that process and and the time that it takes, the amount of bricks that you have to stack to be able to grow over time, you will be able to prove how strong of an athlete you are on race day. But you don't prove that every single day by trying to put out great numbers or get competitive on your easy run days. It's really about just buying into the process and investing in the purpose of that day. So that's a really great way to look at it. Um, and I know that for a lot of people, easy run days are their favorite days because it's just the day where they can really enjoy running, be in tune with their body and the world around them. So definitely get on to that. Uh, it'll make your running faster and better. The second or not the second, but the next running trap that we would like to discuss is also in combination with being in tune with your body. And it is the concept of fueling for your runs. Now, you may um, see people, because a lot of this is about comparison, you may see people who run fasted, or you may see people who bring in different approaches to maybe their daily run or their long runs. And our encouragement, as it has been in these previous running traps is that you need to get in tune with what works for you. The thing that I would encourage people to do is to experiment a little bit, especially in the early stages of a training cycle, and to just understand the signals that your body's giving you. Sarah, we were talking about this before we started recording, that when I'm not training for a race and you know my intensity, my training output's lower over the course of time, I don't worry as much about fueling for my runs um you know if it just fits my schedule best to wake up have coffee get out on my run i'll do it but what i do notice and this is signals from my body is that as i'm training for a race and as the mileage is increasing my body's craving some sort of fuel before i head out on a run so what does that mean i'll wake up either a little bit earlier, or I'll just wake up at the same time. And I'll make sure to prioritize that nutrition side. And when I'm able to do that, this is something that I really took into consideration for my last marathon build, as we kind of strung together some really effective and high output training weeks, is that I wanted to make sure when I was out there running, I felt as good as I could possibly feel. And That took priority over my ability to say, yeah, I I run fasted. Like There's no pride to be had in that. There's pride to be had in feeling good and enjoying your run to the best of your ability. So don't look at what other people are doing and how they're fueling and think that you have to fuel in the same way. Meet your needs as an athlete.
0: Absolutely. I'm such a big believer in also fueling before running. Like I think if anyone works with me, you know, we are talking about that on like day two and um, it's such a huge piece. I think when you are in marathon training of like really getting your stomach trained on how many calories it can take in before a long run, during a long run, um, you know, a little bit Two before you go out for, you know, your 45 or 60 minute, um, easy effort that day, something like that. But I would say the workouts and the long runs are definitely like the big, the big days of the week where, you know, you really get to lean in on figuring out what your body can tolerate, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And knowing that you're setting yourself up for success. Like I have one athlete who eats 800 calories before his long run. And he does that before marathons. And that's a lot like I'm, and he runs really fast. So shocker, right? I'm not saying that like 800 calories is going to make you faster, but he runs very, very strong. And, you know, right now I'm like leaning into eating a little bit more before my long runs, which means getting up a little bit earlier. I've been waking up around 430 on Every Saturday this summer, since training started, do like eat and get about 500 calories, 600 calories, and before I start my long runs. Now I just said in our last, um, in the last uh, running trap, like I've also had three really amazing long runs. So like, could that be tied together? Definitely. There's a lot of other things going on. I'm also hydrating differently with um, an electrolyte mix that is helping tenfold. So that could be part of it too. Um, but really leaning into like what your body's craving and what you need, if you're not training and you're just going out for casual runs two, three, four times a week, and they're on the shorter side, you probably don't need to worry about it as much, but when you are training, Austin, you said this in a different point earlier, like, or maybe it was before we um, started, maybe it was a point, maybe it was before we started, but like you really leaned into the nutrition as you got into marathon training, because it is such a huge component. And for half marathons, like such a huge component when you are racing to make sure that your stomach can tolerate the gels, the chews, the electrolyte mix. Definitely. If you're training for a race, figure out what they have on course, make sure your stomach can tolerate it. That's one of the biggest things, um, because if you run out of gels, you can grab a gel off a table during the race and know that you're going to be fine and it doesn't totally derail um, your race. But definitely trying to fuel to the best of your ability. If you don't like gels or chews, I actually had a registered dietitian come on to talk to the Elevate Athletes last week about nutrition and hydration hacks and how to carry less during long runs for marathon training or even half marathon training. Cause a lot of the elevated athletes train for half marathons, get up to 16 miles. So they're basically in marathon training. Um, but she had a lot of great suggestions and Austin, I'm sure you're familiar with like, you know, the different products out there that you can supplement in your water, add to your water that will give you the calories. It'll give you the carbohydrates and the electrolytes that you need all in one. And you can carry that in a handheld. And I know Scratch Labs has a really great one that all the Elevate elevate athletes get to try this Saturday on our long run. And we're all really excited about it. And it's just a nice way, like you can drink it versus eating it. And sometimes that works better for athletes. It's all about texture with everyone. And everyone has, you know, different preferences on what they like and don't like and really what their stomach can tolerate.
1: Yeah, we're definitely all unique in, the specific types of products, or maybe the specific types of foods that we want to take in uh, before or during our runs. And that's okay. But one thing that is true across the board is that your body can and will use the fuel, the food, the carbohydrates, the electrolytes that you provide it with. You just have to find the form that works best for you. But when you're fueling yourself appropriately, your body will give you a return on that investment. It'll give you a greater output. You will feel better on your runs because your body was more prepared for it. You can't go out there and rate like this is probably the most common metaphor that you can throw out there, but you can't go race a race car that's empty on on gas. So whatever it looks like to fill up your tank before you run, do it because you will feel better and you will feel stronger for a longer period of time during your run. Now, we can easily pair this with a few of the other running traps that we wanted to discuss. Number one, trying new things on race day. You have a very long time to be able to prepare for race day, hopefully. If if you've planned everything out appropriately, you've given yourself weeks on months to train and prepare for a race, which means that you have multiple opportunities to learn what works best for you and to think about how you can implement that on race day. So that number one, you feel strong. Number two, you don't have any GI issues or anything like that. And so don't try new things on race day, create a plan. Like Sarah, you're waking up at a certain time. I'm sure that that time that you're waking up every day is in a pretty specific proximity to the time and the amount of time before you begin your run that you will implement on Race Day in Chicago, I was the same way in my last marathon training build. We talked about it a series of episodes, um you know, when I was still in that training block, was that I was preparing for race day on multiple instances, like both in terms of what time I was waking up, in terms of how I was preparing my body, and then how I was fueling my body before that run. And I actually had a workout last week. Now I'm running the New York city marathon on November 6th. Last week was the third week of August. And I woke up and I fueled myself and I got ready for that run. And I think in my head, I was like, you're simulating race day right now. And we're like three months out. But I say that to myself and that's a point of pride because I know how much better I feel and how much calmer I feel when I feel like I'm implementing the same practices that are, at this point for me, pretty tried and true to what's going to make me feel best on race day. Now, I said we compare that with multiple of the running traps. Another one that we're going to address is only focusing on running. If you wake up and you only are focused on putting your shoes on and getting out the door, you're probably going to feel like that was your only focus because you're going to, maybe some days you'll feel pretty good, but most days you're going to feel a little bit beat up, a little bit run down, or at least not as good as you could feel. When we focus on more things than running, we think about our whole body, our whole life, and how it combines to work into the process and the goal that we want to achieve in running. That could be the mental side of things that could be the fuel, the hydration, and making sure that you feel healthy. Like there are so many different aspects of our lives that play into the equation of how we feel when we're actually out there running for that given period of time each day. So that's multiple running traps. And Sarah, I'll let you kind of share your perspective on that. But all of these things work together. And when we're able to learn what works best for us and really maximize our ability to put that into practice on a consistent basis, that's when we're not only going to feel the best, but because we feel the best, we are going to have the most fun out there and get the most out of it.
0: Yeah, because it's all about having fun and training hard and feeling fit and strong at the start line, right? That always feels good. Um, I mean, definitely. Definitely don't try new things on race day. You have four, five, maybe six months of training underway. Try out the outfit, try out the gels, try out multiple gels, figure out what works for your body in terms of your breakfast, your hydration, um, and get everything super dialed in. So on race day, it just feels like another long run, but it's kind of like a party and a celebration and you get to run with a whole bunch of people. And I would argue that it like, Every marathon I've run or half marathon race, it goes by so much faster than any training run. So celebrate that and have a lot of fun, but stick with what, you know, stick with what works. And, you know, if you're focusing only on running, you're leaving out a whole slew of other things that are going to elevate your training to make you feel and to create a stronger runner, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a stronger athlete, a stronger human, um, and not in a sense of just you know physical strength, but mental strength too, and showing up and doing all those great things. So the 1% rule applies here. You get to focus in on strength, mental, the mental side of things, your hydration, your nutrition, and the biggest piece is really recovery. When you're in those last six to eight weeks of training, whoo, they can feel like a lot, right? Like really recover hard. That has been my focus for this training cycle. You can recover hard by eating really well after your run, hydrating, um, Element has a really great electrolyte mix for post, I'm sure um, BPN also does as well. And it's really nice to have, um, you know, and drink during, during the day. Um, But there's also like the Epsom salt baths, the yoga, the foam rolling, the compression boots, the compression socks, like stretching out your hips and your lower body. That's huge. I'm a big, big believer. You can do like a 10 minute yoga sequence and that's going to feel so much better than just waiting to try and figure out like when you can fit an hour in. You can do 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes every other day or 10 minutes on your workout in your long run it's going to move the needle tenfold.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've, I really feel like I've kind of lived what you were just mentioning, Sarah, with the stretching and and the recovery outside of running at the beginning of the episode, I talked about how, you know, this training cycle for me is not only about becoming a better runner, but also learning how to balance my marathon training with my life. And, And, you know, the positive stress that I'm getting out out of having a new job and one that I love and and trying to serve a mission and vision that I believe in. But with that, I've found these past two weeks as as I dial up mileage and intensity a little bit that I really need to be on my game with recovery and trying to take care of my body outside of that time where I'm running every single day and outside of that time where I'm expending a lot of mental energy and maybe feeling a little bit stressed, um, you know, both within and outside of my running. And I've felt that. I've felt that on my body. And I know it's a direct result of my, um, my looking past the importance of recovery. And now it's about, for me, how can I work that recovery into my daily life? How can I try to get that extra hour of sleep how can i do the thing that's going to make me feel better tomorrow because honestly when i'm feeling beat up like i kind of have been these past 2 weeks i don't enjoy it as much and i want to enjoy it i want to love running because i know i do but i have to serve my body because my body is essentially my body's the thing that allows me to get out there and run every single day and if i'm not giving my body anything in return for what it gives me in running then then this cannot be a relationship that lasts to give and take, and I've been doing a lot of taking and not a lot of giving recently. So just understand where you're on where you're at on that spectrum. Um, be willing to give what you're willing to take and that that really, I hope encompasses a lot of the you know training um misnomers that we really wanted to point out here today. We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. And if you did, feel free and please do give us a review on the platform that you are listening to. Also, subscribe so that you can see when we put out our weekly releases of the podcast. We hope that you're training for a race before the end of 2022, or maybe you have something on your calendar early on in 2023. No matter what it is, we hope that you are piecing together some amazing training, and we also hope that you'll follow us in our training for our fall marathons. If you'd like to connect with us on social, you can find me on Instagram at Austin Myers 12 Sarah, where can they connect with you?
0: on Instagram and Twitter at Sarah, S-A-Y-R-A-H runs happy and elevate your running. Thank you everyone for listening today. We hope you have a great day, a great week and you run happy.